Welcome to the BBC, a wax cast based on collaboration, not competition. Between Both Cheeks is a world filled with beauty, bums, and billions of bucks. The hosts of the BBC are Luba, the badass boss bitch, creator and owner of international brands and beauty salons. Becca, once newbie and now experienced enforcer, she's hatched out of her egg and manages business with authority and a smile. And Ashley, a straight, shooting, spicy Italian. Hot off the global circuit, she's got expertise to share. Welcome to the BBC. Bring me your balls. No, Kelly Clarkson! Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm Becca, and you're listening to Between Both Cheeks. I have today Luba, our host, and we have a very special guest, Miranda. And you can find her on social at Fio versus Fabulous. And that's P H E O V S Fabulous. And she is here going to talk about her life and advocating for your health and how we met, how we know her. And now she's so involved with the company and with our lives and just has been such a great friend and a joy in our lives to know. Hey, welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for agreeing. I was so happy when you said yes. I I was just so excited to be, to be asked. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we gotta, we gotta grab you before you turn into this big influencer when you're, you're going to be too busy to talk to us. We know that won't happen. I don't, I don't mean I'm not going to be, you know, I don't, I just mean I will never stop talking to you <laughs> okay perfect. That I love. and you will be a big influencer you will always be besties no matter how famous I am okay I love that, I love that. um well I just wanted to talk about the power of social media because Becca has definitely taught me about that in the last couple of years uh, but Becca actually pretty much introduced us she sent yeah. me your profile and was like oh my god and then I started following you and I was like this person is so fabulous this woman is so fabulous I need to get to know her um but I just want to kind of have Becca talk about that on how you came across Miranda and what was it that you were just mm-hmm. like hey Mm-hmm. So I really can't take credit for it. It was whatever cyberspace algorithm was out there. And I was on, I believe the company's TikTok scrolling through the For You page, which is like kind of their newsfeed on TikTok. Cause that's what I do just to get ideas and see what's trending. And it, I could have been on my personal one, but I don't think so. Cause I use the company ones more, but anyways, one of Miranda's videos popped up. And I don't even remember which one, but she was talking about, you know, she was a young person when she was diagnosed with cancer. And so I looked at her page and then I watched a couple videos and, you know, went down the rabbit hole. And then I sent her profile to Luba. And um, I know that we have an exciting product launch coming up. And I was like, this person would probably be perfect to help us promote it. Um, Very comfortable on camera, very outgoing, very um, active online. And so we just kind of put it in our back pocket and eventually Luba just started sliding into your DMs and (laughs) now here we are. (laughs) Um, Can I just say that I was thinking back to how we met Mm. and exactly that, exactly as Becca said, it was really the, the power of the universe that brought us together. And the funny thing is, is that she had been 
um, looking at my, my profiles and my socials, except I was the one who reached out to her first. No, and, no way. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that. And we, the moment that I reached out to you, you had said to me, oh my goodness, I was just about to reach out to you. And it was actually, um, I don't know if I ever shared that with you guys, but I was on a hunt for safe to use cancer thriver, friendly beauty products, skincare. I was in the middle of changing over every single one of my products, every single one of my, we talked about that, you know, Mm -hmm. throwing out all of our, you know, bougie, nice, you know, skincare we are used to because it's just too harsh for your skin. And, you know, I had recently received a, another rare diagnosis of mast cell activation syndrome, which makes me allergic to life. And so, yeah, I was looking for safe beauty products to use and somehow it led me to brighten up. Somehow it led me to the waxing um, page on Instagram. And Mm. I messaged Becca wanting to know a little bit more about, you know, the product. But then I looked, I saw Luba's post about how she had just been, you know, just been diagnosed. And I read her story and I just, I knew right then and there that I was going to, I don't, I felt a connection and I just knew that something more was going to come of it. So I just decided to put myself out there and say, you know, can I, can I try your product? Like I would be so honored to be able to try your product as a rare cancer thriver and be able to share it um, with confidence for mm-hmm. other people who have the same problems that I do. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I didn't remember that. I'll have to go back. That's that's even more crazy now. Yeah. Power of the universe when you surrender and just let things happen and fall yeah. into place is a beautiful yeah. place to be. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, so tell us a little bit about your diagnosis. You were diagnosed very young. Mm-hmm. Um, the type that you're dealing with and just share your story with everyone because it is such a beautiful, inspiring story and I want everyone to hear it. Well, I will try as much as I can to simplify it because as we know, it is complicated. It's long. I'm 30 now. And it's been since I'm 19 years old that I've been officially diagnosed, but I've been dealing with this for so many years and it's so hard to condense 10 plus years into such a short period of time. So I'm going to try to just touch on the main points. Um, So I was, as I said, diagnosed with a very rare tumor when I was 19 years old. And at that time, it was not said to be cancerous. It was, you know, I was highly symptomatic. I was really suffering for a couple of years leading up to that. And I had, you know, I was so young. So of course, you're not, you're not going to think anything really that is, you know, life pressing, you're just going to say, okay, well, you know, I'm just experiencing odd symptoms and you just kind of go on with your day. You just adapt. But at there, it came a certain point where I could no longer just, you know, brush it under the rug. So then I started visiting my family doctor and explaining what was going on. And he was the way that you, when a patient has this disease, which is pheochromocytoma, that's the official name of this rare tumor. Um, it's off, it's so often we call it the great mimicker because it's so often misdiagnosed as 
anxiety, as panic attacks, as even just multiple other types of illnesses. And it's, we're, we're getting better, you know, I, and I like to think I have part in that, but it's at the time, there was just no way that anybody would have thought of that. It would have not been on anybody's forefront of their mind. And so my doctor continued to tell me that, you know, I was just anxious. And then he led me to, you know, saying, well, what's your sleep like? And, you know, you're working a lot and, you know, you're probably drinking a little too much coffee. And then, you know, he would ask me about like my social habits and, you know, like I was young, of course I was, you know, I was drinking a bit and I was, you know, having a social life, but nothing to an extreme of destroying my body in the way where they were, you know, they were saying. So I got to a point where um, I'll just explain the symptoms a little bit so that you can kind of um, have a picture of what I was experiencing. So, you know, picture a completely healthy, otherwise normal, um, 18, 19 year old woman. And, you know, I was just um, starting a career at that time. And I was, you know, just living a normal life. And I would wake up every day, I would get ready for work. And like clockwork, I would take my shower. And the moment I would get out of the shower, I would just be on my bathroom floor. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that, like I was literally on my bathroom floor, because I would be hit with just a sudden chest pain, chest tightening, but not in the, like, you know, I'm a little anxious sense. It's like, no, I'm, I'm literally going to die at this moment. Like it uh, not being dramatic. So my heart rate would just start palpitating and it would go incredibly high. But again, I was too young to know, to check my heart rate or know my vitals. So I just, I would just explain it as I felt like I was going to die. And, um, I didn't know this at the time, but my blood pressure was skyrocketing because the tumor secretes adrenaline. And that's the whole root of this problem is that these, these types of tumors, which can also be called paragangliomas, which just means that it's on a different location other than your adrenal gland. So mine was on my adrenal gland and I didn't know this at the time. So I would just be hit with these assaults of adrenaline every day. So I would, I I was literally being overdosed on adrenaline multiple times a day. Just wasn't once it would just be like, I would be brushing my hair. And then all of a sudden just, you know, clinging to my chest for dear life. And then it got to a point where my headaches were so all encompassing. It felt like my brain was being squeezed. I would lose my vision. I would have Mm. tremors. Like I would kind of be having like a mild seizure in a way, but completely aware of what was happening. Um, And you get very flushed, like your, your chest and your face goes like very, very red. You sweat profusely. And then this is all within like minutes, you know, that this is from one second to the next, this is happening. And there's no warning. There's no, um, you know, oh, you get a little bit of nausea and you kind of know it's coming. It's like, you don't know it's coming. You're just hit by a bus multiple times a day. So at that time, I, you know, when it started happening at work and when it started happening in public places and, you know, uh, having to remove myself from situations and, you know, 
finding like kind of shelter and reprieve while, while, while it's happening, it got to a point where, you know, it was impacting my, my, my life and, and I, I couldn't function anymore. So I, again, continued to go to my doctor and he said, well, you know, you'd, you'd really have to come in while it's happening. Cause I, I don't know. And I said, well, I really can't come in while it's happening because I'm really stuck on my bathroom floor. So you'd kind of have to come to me or, you know, I don't know. So I said, like, isn't there a test or something we can run? And he's like, no, like, unless, unless it's happening, I can't know. So he said, if it gets really, really bad, call an ambulance, you know, so that they can take you into the hospital as it's happening. So, okay, fair enough. So I continue on my life. And then one night, of course, it got really bad. I had just taken a bubble bath and, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but heat is a big trigger for the tumor because of the, you know, the blood circulation and things. So it, it, it kind of provokes the, uh, the adrenaline release. So I had taken a very long hot bath and it was the, the end of me. That's what put me into, um, the hospital. So I had the worst attack I had ever had. The the, the pain in my chest wouldn't go away. Normally it lasts 20, 25 minutes from the start of the attack to the end of the attack, but this attack was going hour strong. My mom at the time was, you know, you can imagine it's pretty chaotic when that's happening and people you're, you know, your loved ones are seeing it happen and there's no explanation and you feel helpless. So my mom was kind of like, you know, I'm going to call the ambulance. And I'm of course like, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. And, you know, so anyways, um, she called <laughs> and I, I just, I pretty much went unconscious because of the pain and the ambulance came. And by the time they had come, it had passed. I was no longer in like the thick of the attack, but when it's finished, you're just like a puddle of nothing. Like you, you have no, um, energy. You, you can't speak almost your eyes are rolling back in your head. Like you're just your body has just been like, if you can imagine everybody has a normal amount of hormones that they produce on a daily basis in order to, to be, to stay alive. Like everybody needs, um, a certain amount of adrenaline and, um, but this tumor <laughs> makes you have, you know, I'd say 50 times the amount and more than what you would typically produce, but all at once. So it puts you at risk for heart attack, for strokes. Um, and that's really the most dangerous as it goes untreated is that your organs get damaged and eventually shut down and you die. And so most people are being diagnosed upon autopsy. And as I say that I have chills because it's, it's not okay. And that would have been me, um, you know, had we not just had it not worked out the way it did. But even then, um, when the ambulance was in my home, they said, they checked my vitals and they said, well, she seems fine to me. Uh, we're not going to take her in, you know, she's, she probably just had a little panic attack or something. And as I'm laying there, you know, unable to speak and my eyes are just like completely, you know, drooping. And my mom said, 
you are taking her into the hospital right now. She needs help. This is not normal. And it's not normal that this is happening every day. So they did. With great reluctance, they put me in the ambulance and they drove to the hospital without the lights on at normal speed limit. Um, so it took about 30 minutes to get to a hospital because I lived in the country. And by the time we got there, I was in so much pain. And all I could all I could really communicate to them was that my chest hurt. So they um, just to be safe, they ran, you know, normal CBC and, um, you know, just regular labs. And because my chest had been hurting so much, they, um, I think they did an ECG and then they, they ran, um, tests to see if my heart had been damaged. And sure enough, um, I had a heart attack. So, um, oh like a massive gosh. heart attack. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, so they, of course, now the alarm bells are going off. Like everybody starts wow. to believe me that, yeah. you know, but had I not, this is, this is what the worst part is about this is that mm-hmm. had I not had that level of heart damage in my blood, they would have sent me home and said that it was a panic attack or an anxiety attack. And this is what I hear every single day from so many people around the world that, you know, they, you, you essentially have to get to a point where you either have a heart attack, a massive stroke or die in order to get the diagnosis of this disease. And it's just, it makes no sense to me because, you know, there's, I understand that it's rare, but the reality is I've been doing this for so long now that it's not as rare as they're saying. And the amount of patients that I connect with on a, on a daily basis now that my message is being heard and I'm finally gaining the traction that I, that I've always wanted. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. So, um, I still at that time, they had no idea what caused it. So they admitted me and, you know, they treated me for the pain and et cetera. So I stayed at that hospital for four days and then they just let me go. They just, they, they discharged me. They just said like, you know, we, well, we're, we're not sure at this time. So, you know, we'll, we'll have you follow up with your family doctor. And once we get some more results of your tests and, you know, have a nice day. And so I went home. I didn't know what else to do. Of course. I know I didn't really want to be in the hospital. So I went home. And you're young, Um, right? When you're so young, like you don't think anything is going to harm you or hurt you and you're invincible. Yeah. But also you were young and you just had a heart attack. Exactly. And that's not normal. When you're, when you're that age and somebody tells you you have a heart attack, it's like, you don't know how to feel. You don't know how to understand. You don't understand it. And of course you don't know the questions to ask. You don't know how to advocate for yourself. I had no, like, I didn't have a me at that time. You know, I didn't have anybody who was, you know, social media was not as big at that time. And Mm -hmm. I just simply didn't know how to go about it. So I just, you know, went home and I figured I honestly, I I remember thinking to myself, I'm happy I'm going home because I can't miss work. Like, that's what I was thinking in my mind. And Mm -hmm. although my my, my job at that time, they were incredibly supportive and they were like, you know, just take all the time you need, like just get better. And to me, I was like, no, like I need to get back to work. I need to get back to normal. And so, yeah, that, that very day I went to my, um, my work and I was talking to my coworker who was now my husband 
and I was explaining, you know, to him what was going on. And he had actually went to the hospital when I was in this hospital, he had found where I was and, you know, brought me things. And, you know, that's when we kind of started another story altogether, but that's kind of what, what started um, our journey together. And so I'm explaining to him what's happening. And as I am, I get this phone call from, you know, I see the call display, it says the Ottawa Heart Institute. And I'm like, okay, so I answer. And it's in a completely different hospital. It's a heart specific center. And they said, you should have never been discharged. You need to come in here right now. You're in danger being out of the hospital. We need to get you hooked up to a heart monitor. We need to be monitoring you. We need to see what caused this heart attack. And I was like, you know, like I was like, literally, I I remember being um, feeling (laughs) like inconvenienced by this phone call. I was like, you know, I was like, um, well, uh, okay. (laughs) I have to go in right now. Like, so me being me, I went and got my nails done. I went, (laughs) I went and prepared for this, you know, unknown amount of hospital days. And yeah, so I went and got some cute pajamas and robes and things to bring to the hospital. And I made my like, took my sweet time and eventually made it there by like eight in the evening. (laughs) And I, my dad dropped me off and, you know, I remember, you know, when you arrive in the hospital and you don't know why you're there and it's dark and you're, you know, alone, I just, I lost it. I just started like, you know, I'm a strong person. I'm very resilient, but I just lost it. And I was, I remember feeling so lost in that that moment. And this nurse came in and she, you know, she was like, what's wrong, honey? And, you know, she comforted me and, um, you know, that was the start of a two month hospital stay um, in order for them to finally figure out that I had this disease, pheochromocytoma. And it was the beginning of what would lead to my marriage because my husband and I started dating within the hospital. And I Honestly, if I didn't have that, I think if I didn't have that distraction, it would have been an entirely different experience, different story. But he was there the day that I was officially diagnosed. Like I said, it took two months and every day I was there, they had me, I was not allowed to leave the floor. I was not allowed to even go in the elevator. They were so scared of something happening to me because my heart rate resting was 189 190 to 200 and I'm just talking like I'm sitting in the bed reading a magazine and my heart rate is 190 so they're like that's what mine is when I run yeah and even even then it's like you know 190 for like a healthy young person is like you know you're pushing every boundary in order in order to get there so what just resting it's supposed to be like between 60 and 80 Mm -hmm. you know like in, in that area so um, yeah, so they started witnessing the attacks that I was having in the hospital and they still didn't know what was happening. Like I was ha- oh. like, I, you know, when I would shower there, I would have to press the, you know, the emergency button on the wall. And it was, it was horrendous. Like it was awful being oh. undiagnosed and untreated for this disease because every day that goes by that you're not treated, um, like I said, you're at risk for 
you know, your, your brain is being damaged, your heart is being damaged, your vessels are being damaged, like everything is being damaged. And so what happens is it creates a lot of comorbidities, you know, lifelong chronic illnesses because people are not being diagnosed in time. So it's creating so much damage, unnecessary damage to the body. And so when I eventually got diagnosed, um, you know, they, they came in and like a, like nine of them and, you know, this big team of specialists and let me know that, you know, we, we didn't think of it because it's like a one in a million type tumor. And, you know, we, we're going to do imaging. So, so they did the imaging and the tumor was literally the size of a large softball, like by that time. So that means that it had been in my body for who knows how long in order to get that big. And when it gets to that size, it makes it more complicated for removal and just, you know, it just makes everything more difficult. So they let me know like very, very quickly, everything happened so quick. They said, we need to do surgery immediately as soon as we can safely, because this tumor is a ticking time bomb in your body. Um, but in order to do surgery, they have to prepare your body. Um, they have to put you on blood pressure and heart medication. That's called an alpha and beta blocker, which all of us in the FIOPARA world are very, very aware. Um, so they put you on that mix of medications. And what it does is it puts your body in a state where your blood pressure is just so low and your heart rate is so low so that when you do have an attack, your vitals will only hit, uh, you know, a level where it's no longer dangerous or it can't harm you in that way. Like it'll still feel uncomfortable. It'll still feel awful. Um, but you won't die basically. So the surgery is incredibly risky. It's very hard to do. And if somebody is listening to this with this disease, I want to say the importance of having a specialized surgeon, an endocrine surgeon who understands this disease, who's, you know, his, his he, he takes out tumors on his break, on his lunch, you know, like it's his, it's his job specifically, mm -hmm. because I had a general surgeon that had, I don't think ever touched one, to be honest. Um, and I ended up dying on the table. <laughs> my story gets better and better. Um, oh yeah, so I lost my life for three minutes on the operating table because the approach of the surgery was done wrong. The size of the tumor, and this is just, you would think this is just common sense, but the size of the tumor was so large and they went in laparoscopically, which means that they oh. go in little cameras and a small incision. Tiny tools, yeah. Right, so they needed to go in open so that they had full view and, you know, full access yeah. to the tumor. Um, but yeah, so they, they, they made that error and they cut my, they nicked my vena cava, which is the main oh. artery in your heart. And I, of course, you know, bled I out. bled out and yeah. So thankfully vascular in that hospital was, you know, um, specialized and was used to this because they were able to repair, um, the vessel in time in order for them to do just like an emergency life-saving saving procedure. But in doing so they had to cut so quick and convert to the open procedure so quickly. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, 
I know this is an R-rated podcast, but I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. So I am just going to say that um, the procedure in order to save somebody's life while they are, you know, lifeless is not pretty. It's, it's, uh, you know, they always say you can't do more damage to somebody who's already dead. So mm-hmm. they'll just do anything they can in order to save you. Yeah. But when you're 19 and you wake up with a, you know, a, a cut from your mid mid belly to your back and it's a jagged line and you know you you kind of wonder like hey well what happened in there you know (laughs) so um that alone caused me to this day I, I can't I can't touch my my skin I can't touch my my stomach um I have to wear certain clothes because and this is again like this is a lot of the things that I share on the daily basis because there's other there's a lot of other people who understand and there's a lot of people who don't understand but basically when you're dealing with chronic pain and neuropathy and things so young um in the first years I had no idea how to handle it um but I've been dealing with this for so long that I've you know created kind of a survival kit in the survival mode for pretty much everything um but I always make it fabulous because I don't want to be you know sitting in my moo all day like trying to be comfortable you know so um at at this stage, you know, all of this had happened, a lot of trauma, a lot of like, you know, uh, uncertainty and, you know, so much was going on in that time. And I, when I went for my follow-up after all of this had happened, the surgeon basically said, um, oh, you look great. You're doing awesome. Um, you know, and I'm like, no, I'm in a lot of pain. I can't function. I can't go back to work yet because I'm not able to like get off of these painkillers. And he's like, you know, um, well, that's normal. You know, you got a big surgery and, you know, you look great though. And uh, he's like, the good news is, is that the tumor is so rare, it'll never come back. And, Mm. uh, you know, right now we're approaching Theopara Awareness Week. And there's a hashtag that is called not one and done because so many doctors say, oh, it's a one and done. You know, you, you tested negative for genetics you have no risk of it coming back. It's a one and done. And I was told that one and done phrase so many times. It makes me sick to my stomach right now talking about it. And because it was not a one and done clearly, because that's what led me to being a young terminal incurable cancer thriver. And I just blew the ending, but (laughs) um, basically I you would think that because of everything I had gone through up to that point, and because they were aware of the fact that I was an incredibly rare case, and I had this Mm -hmm. rare, crazy tumor that, you know, they would be doing the follow-ups, and, you know, they would be very in tune with me if I had symptoms, or if, you know, I was saying, like, something isn't right, Mm -hmm. but I went through the exact same whole process post-op that I did before. So I had never lost my symptoms. I, I still had attacks every day. And I was led to believe that once you get the surgery, you're just going to be fine. You're going to go on to live a beautiful life. And, you know, it's all rainbows and sunshine and, you know, everything's perfect after you get it removed, but that's not the case. And this is so many other people's problems today is that we get the tumor removed. We think that they do pathology. They say, 
it was a benign tumor. They confirm that it's benign. And then everybody starts using the word benign and kind of minimizing the situation and uh, minimizing the risk of recurrence. And because it's just simply not understood, this disease is not understood to the level where it needs to be. If I go to a specialist and ask them, you know, um, well, my tumor was benign on pathology, they're going to say there's no way for them to tell uh, under a microscope whether or not this tumor is benign or malignant. The only way to confirm whether or not this tumor is malignant is if it travels to a distant site or it, yeah, if it, if it recurs and travels or it becomes metastatic, that's simply the only way to know. So when they use the word benign, they give a false sense of security, a false sense of hope to people who are living with the disease. And everybody involved in my care was, you know, saying, well, because you tested negative for genetics, um, there's really like, there's almost no risk of it coming back. But the key word there's almost, almost mm -hmm. no risk, but they were treating it as if there was no way that it could come back. And so I was doing yearly follow-ups and in between those years, I was going to every doctor who would listen to me about my symptoms and saying that I knew I still had it. I didn't understand it at the time. Okay. So again, I wish there had been a me at that time because I didn't have any support. I knew, I knew of no support groups. I knew of no other patients. I was the only one in the whole entire world who had this disease, according to me. And my, me and my husband, it was basically us against the world. And, you know, there's days where to this day, he still feels guilty. He, he feels as if it was his fault that he couldn't get me the care that I needed. And I too feel that, you know, if I had only done this differently, or if I had only said this, and, you know, I just want to say that as much as, as much as I will get to, it's the importance of being your own advocate. It's not your fault. It is simply not your responsibility, nor is it your fault if somebody doesn't give you the basic requirement of medical care. And although it can be life-saving to advocate for yourself, you cannot take the fall or take the blame when you do not get the, you know, the results that you're looking for. So, um, yeah. So I, again, for four years, I had complained of the symptoms and I went to emergency. I went to anywhere I knew I went, I went back to the geneticist to explain it to her. Like I, 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 I really did talk to everybody single every single doctor who, who could have potentially helped me, every single one of them told me that I had experienced a lot of trauma. It must be anxiety. It could be low blood sugar. You know, they were, they always had a way of, mm -hmm. I hate the word gaslighting because it's a really like big buzzword right now. I don't want to say it's a buzzword. It's a very real thing, but that's basically what was happening to me. Mm -hmm. I was, I was being convinced of a, an alternate reality. I was being convinced that what I was saying was simply not true. And I should believe what they are saying because it's what makes sense. And I, until the day that I turned 24, I was going to Vegas to celebrate my five year 
cancerversary, feel free. Cause I believed them. I started believing them that I was fine and I wanted to believe I was fine. Who wants to be sick? Of course. So, you know, I, yeah, I planned this incredible trip to Vegas. I wanted to do anything and everything to just like, you know, basically mark my beginning of normalcy. I wanted to believe that it was the the time to move on. I, I no longer wanted to complain to doctors. I no longer wanted to be like, I I didn't want to identify with this disease anymore. I wanted to just move on. I was, you know, I had been promoted. I was on, you know, a a very like promising path in my life, career wise, um, personal life. You know, I, I, I had, you know, I would say like a dream young person's life. You know, I was successful. I was married. I had built my own home. You know, I had done everything that I wanted to do. I was incredibly motivated after this happened and I just wanted to celebrate. And I, the only thing I had to do was go to that one stupid follow-up appointment, get it out of the way. And then I could be on the plane to Vegas, except that follow-up appointment is what changed my life. And the doctor that followed me for four years and looked in my face and said that I was anxious for four years, didn't even deliver the news. She got a resident to do it. Oh my gosh. Uh, so that resident basically sat there and just said, you know, it's high. And I was like, what's high? And he's like, the adrenaline in your, in your labs, it's really high. And, you know, we're going to have to do further testing, but we, we can confirm that, you know, you have, you have the disease again. And I'm like sitting there and just utter disbelief, like what, you know? So I'm thinking, well, why, why, why was this not like, why were you not able to see this before, you know, all the time that I had said it. And, you know, this is again, I'm just touching on sort of the issues that we face as a whole, like not just, it's not just unique to me. Um, this is the same problem that most patients have, most rare disease patients have, is that when the labs come back normal, the doctors dismiss your symptoms and they rely on the normal labs. So because my labs were coming back normal, normal, um, they, they just ignored my symptoms and, and just, it had to have been anxiety. It had to have been a mental health issue because you know, science didn't agree with me, basically. Mm -hmm. And this is the problem with this disease specifically, and many others, is that the labs can be so tricky. Your adrenaline, in order for them to get a positive result, your adrenaline needs to have been secreting in that 24-hour period in order for them to get a high result. Mm -hmm. So if your tumor's behaving when they do the test, let's just say, or often if the test is not done properly, if the, if the sample is not stored properly, so many factors, um, you get a, a normal result. So I was continuously getting normal results and later found out that they actually were not running the full panel of testing I needed in order to know. So they were testing only my urine. They were not testing my blood. And blood is Where the it would show. It's the most sensitive to plasma is the most sensitive to adrenaline results. Yeah. So the, the urine tests were being done and the blood was not being done. And this is important for, I think any cancer 
survivor, thriver, warrior is that there's tumor markers that they can test for in your blood. So if you're suspicious of having a certain type of cancer or tumor, they can test for, even if your results are normal for the, the levels they're looking for, what often gets them to the answer that they need to the diagnosis is the tumor marker because the tumor marker won't lie. If, mm -hmm. if there's something present in your body, the tumor marker will be slight, even just slightly elevated. And it's specific to this rare tumor. So the fact that they could have been doing that test for four years and weren't is just, again, oh. like it, it's so crazy. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, I can tell you firsthand that starting a podcast was one of the best things that we have ever done, but it can be really overwhelming to start out. Where do you begin? How do you do it? All the things. So many questions, right? How do you record audio and have it just go out into the world, into people's headphones and into their cars while they're doing dishes and cleaning and out on walks? Like I, I, I can't say I understand the technology, but I can say that I know the easiest and the best way to do it, and that's with Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is a podcast publishing platform, and it's so easy to use, and it can push your podcast out onto all major platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, Buzzsprout can get you there. It's what we use every week. It's so freaking easy. I can't stress that enough. Like, we're still learning and our audio isn't the best all the time because we use Zoom for a lot of our episodes still. But even if you guys start out with just Zoom or just sitting in your closet using the voice memo app on your phone, Buzzsprout makes it that much easier to get that content and that audio out into the world and you can start building a brand, improving your business, or just shooting the shits with your friends. <laughs> shooting the shit with your friends. I don't know if I can say that on an ad. Anyways, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, I super, 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 super encourage you to do so. And go to our show notes, which is the show description. Click on the link and you get to start your own podcast with Buzzsprout. And you get an extra $20 Amazon gift card. It tells Buzzsprout that we've sent you and it really helps us out. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to podcast. Be part of your story and... I feel that, excuse me for just one second. Um, I feel that when you, when I read your, I don't remember what it was specifically. It was like a template, a quote and kind of the start mm. of just, I think it was like literally when you're social. I think mm -hmm. when it was, it was when your, your diagnosis or your story was announced and mm. I felt so connected to it. And I, I knew like kind of at that moment that my purpose and my message is not, you know, specific to any one disease or any one uh, struggle. It's like mm -hmm. by sharing our stories, we can inspire people in ways that we have no idea. Like, I don't even know the full capacity of, of what happens every day. Um, and you know, when you started sharing your story, um, and I got to know more and more about you, I realized what an impact 
that can have because you impacted me. So I said to myself, like, you know, I've been doing this for years. I wonder what kind of impact I'm making. It kind of just opened my eyes to everything. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's it's really, it's just, it's an incredible thing. And I, I appreciate you guys a lot. We appreciate you. Um, I think the quote probably that was my first post after um, I decided to come out was I passed the hardest moments alone while everyone thought I was fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's so many times where I like to appear because this is just something like a promise I've made to myself is that I like to appear in a certain way. But I think that's such an important note is that, you know, when we share those dark times or when we're honest about them, or, you know, even if it's so hard and, you know, it just, it's more beneficial, I think for us, because we're able to finally get the, like, the support that we need because it's so hard to do this alone okay. and you know uh, I think that everybody has their own choice as far as how they how they deal with things but I think that all of us retreat to our own little you know our own little world and we need time to to accept it we need time to be angry about it we need time to you know heal from it like there's just so many so many aspects of our of our journeys yeah. and That's why I too, when I was at my sickest, I just disappeared. I can imagine, you know, how present I am on social media, me just disappearing one day. If it ever happens, it's because I'm, I, I, either I'm doing really well or I'm doing really bad, one or the other. But um, yeah, I I completely understand that feeling. And that's, that's exactly why I have, I've done what I've done because I feel like nobody should have to feel that feeling. It's the most lonely place to be. Yes. And it's probably one of the most damaging things that you can experience mentally. Mm -hmm. And even now, um, you know, this is a whole other topic, but you know, the, (laughs) the, the mental toll that this disease takes, um, you know, whether you can say, I've beat cancer, I am cancer free, I am cured. I don't think people truly realize how much we carry around with us on, on a daily basis. Like I see it in you, Lupa, I know it, but I don't think that everybody understands, um, you know, your fears and your, your feelings that you have about this. And even, I don't even think that a lot of us uh, fully process it until years later it's it's massive ptsd exactly i i was i was i was gonna say the word but i was like okay it's a whole other subject so i don't know if i should say it but yeah it's it's incredible the amount of ptsd that we all endure and a lot of us don't even know what what ptsd is We, we don't know that we have it um only only in imagine i've been doing this for over 10 years and only in the last year like this year did I start to realize that I was suffering with extreme complex PTSD? Mm. And uh, again, whole other topic, whole other subject, because then you have to figure out, okay, now I'm fighting cancer and now I have to figure out how to keep my brain, you know, from destroying me. Like it's a whole, it's a whole other thing. So it's, it's just, 
we are incredible. Like, let me just finish like, with saying that. Like, we are so badass what we do on a daily <laughs> basis. Like, and it needs to be said and it needs to be recognized and not just by other people, but by ourselves. You yeah. know, like, we need to recognize yeah. what we do on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. Now, I want you to give, because you've got blogs and you've got Instagram, um, you've got TikTok. Um, can you please give us all of the places <laughs> where people can go and find you and follow you and read everything? So, um, how you would connect the most with my story and the bits and pieces of the painful parts uh, you can imagine. I left out a lot of painful parts. Um, that's where you can see most on my blog because my blog, I started sharing, um, just within a couple of months of the initial diagnosis. And I shared everything from, you know, the, the first time to current, you know, I've shared every, um, every aspect of my treatments and you know my hope was to share my patient experience and have others learn from certain scenarios and situations um so it's informative it's kind of sarcastic it's kind of funny it's kind of fabulous it's kind of everything you know it's, it's me you know it's me in writing um writing is my therapy and yeah I would I would love if people were to connect with me in that way because it's really like my heart and soul um, on, well, not on paper, but you know, on, on the screen. Um, my Instagram is technically where I'm like, I'm most present, you know, I'm the most engaged there. You know, like if you shoot me a message, I'll typically answer, you know, you guys know, I love my stories. I love just like chatting with people and being ridiculous all day long. I looked at my, I actually looked back at one of my stories yesterday and I was like, what is wrong with me? Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so my Instagram is fun. You know, it's a mix of everything. My Instagram is very much a mix of, you know, just who I am as a person, my beauty interests, you know, I'll share, mm -hmm. you know, things that I share a lot of things that I like and I, that I buy. Um, I buy a lot of stuff. Yes, ladies, be careful. Seriously. I need to put my credit card away when I watch <laughs> a, that Dior lip oil. I'm telling you, girl, amazing. Um, I'm just, you, saying, I'm just saying, but the <laughs> maximizer is like, <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So that's where I, I, I try to share, um, you know, just a fun way of coping and my day-to-day -day life. And I too, also, of course, the root of my message is always going to be to raise awareness and you know, connect, try to connect, um, as many zebras as we like to call ourselves because we are rare, um, mm -hmm. as possible. When you hear, when, what, what's the phrase when you hear hoof steps? Yeah. When you hear hoof beats, um, don't think I, horse. I'm trying to think, okay. I don't want to mess this up. Think horse, not zebra, but you guys are zebras. Is so <laughs> they, they say when you hear hoof beats, um, I basically, okay. I will just explain it in my way. There's a phrase. There's a I, phrase. <laughs> I know there, there is an actual phrase and I feel yeah. very ashamed right now that I don't know it for some reason, okay, but that's what too. brain fog does. Um, but basically it's that when doctors hear hoof beats, they think horses, which is the common regular diagnosis. Um, when in fact it can sometimes be a zebra. And again, leading up to Fiopara Awareness Week, there is another hashtag that's being used, hashtag rare but real. So just mm. acknowledging the fact that although we are rare, it is still very much happening. And, you know, it needs to be acknowledged because it's not always a horse. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
so uh yeah so my tiktok is you know uh well as you guys know it's just a it's just a big ball of everything it's a mix of you know i try to share again you know sometimes i'll share like what an attack feels like and then sometimes i'm just sharing what i bought on amazon that day so you know it's i i like i like to have a mix i don't like cancer to be the only defining um aspect of my life because i mm-hmm. think that it's important to be said um although i'm full of hope and i'm so grateful to be here and to be alive and breathing to share my message mm-hmm. i will never let it take over my life in to its entirety and i will always be me so that's you know that's a balance. You know, I, I have to be able to share awareness. I have to be able to use my day-to-day life in order to do that. Because the reality is I'm never going to be without this disease. You know, mm-hmm. I'm always going to live with this disease. So I have to find ways in order to, you know, accept that it's part of me. You know, we've, mm-hmm. we've made up, we've made friends, you know, me and my asshole term. Sorry. I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can. Me and my asshole too. Oh yeah. Asshole. Right. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, me and my asshole tumors have, you know, like reconciled, but at the same time I have to continuously show them who's boss, you know? So mm-hmm. it's something that I live with and it's something that I have to cope with and adapt to every day. And, you know, um, I, yeah. So I just TikTok. Instagram, my blog, and they are all under the same name. If you look up Theo versus Fabulous, um, mm-hmm. you will always, you'll just be kind of bombarded with years of my, my I love message. it. I so. love it. And so you're going to help so many people. Um, and we do have some listeners out there that are cancer warriors, thrivers, survivors that I know will pass this on and, and they'll be able to use it for themselves as well. We, we know we've got those listeners to, sh- so shout out to all of you warriors out there. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your story and for helping so many people. Mm-hmm. Becca, where can they listen to us and follow us and do all of the things? So if you want to follow Miranda and you didn't get a chance to write down what she just said, we'll put everything in the show notes, which is the show description. And you can listen to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, just search between both cheeks and we'll come up. You can watch the video versions of the podcast on YouTube under the Wax Hair Removal Bar channel. But if you just look up in the search bar between both cheeks podcast, it does come up. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at comments at betweenbothcheeks.com. And you can follow us on social media at Between Both Cheeks Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and good night. Bye.